Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And we are back with a guest, but we have a two-parter, so we're just prefacing that up front. This is uh we're running a two-part episode with this guest and Chuck. We have uh we have reached around the globe again. Um in yep. our effort to bring more international stories to you. Yeah. So we got contacted by a podcast um that we're actually going to be going on. Um, and they said, Hey, we have a guest that was just on. We think he'd be a great fit for your show. Awesome. So I reached out to uh Nick over here and um he spent 13 years in the Australian military, eight of that, which was SAS, and now he runs a nonprofit and is an actor. So we reached out to him and he said he would come on and I think you guys are going to like it. And he has a lot of stories and a lot of info and pretty all around badass dude. How are you, Nick? Yeah, good night. Welcome. Um, thank you. Yeah, no, we're glad to have you. Now you are um, currently, can we give away your current location on the globe? Yeah, you can. Yeah, send it. <laughs> Nick's in Italy. <laughs> um, and uh, you, should we start with what you do now? I mean, I use it, Chuck said actor, and yeah, I've I've um I've I've uh, really started to pursue that, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I just really love the cultivation of that art as an as an art, and wherever it goes, great. Wherever it doesn't go, great. It'll be what it'll be. But like everything, it's not in interest of half cocking anything, right? No, go for it. Mm-hmm. Full send. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, the guys know I'm, I'm current. I fact I had. Um, just looked at the call sheet. I'm in a play and I'm not called tonight, but I was almost late to our podcast last night for being at rehearsal. And so, so it's, it, you know, I have another friend. He retired from law enforcement. Uh, he was a, he was a Lieutenant in the army back in the day. And he spent a 25 career, 25 year career in law enforcement. And then he retired and moved to Arizona and he makes Westerns, makes Western movies, just directed his own first short film. Nice. That's America's, not just the Westerns, America's strongest artistic culture is, is film. Oh, yeah. Television. 100%. Yeah. And, theater and jazz. Even, and jazz. Oh, yeah, jazz is awesome, right? Yeah. I learned, I taught myself the, the, the piano using an app for like three years. Um, and jazz, for some reason, is like my strongest suit. Like all the classical stuff, a little bit dyslexic. It's, it's right. a bit complex. Really? But the jazz, I'm I'm like really digging. I love it. Really yeah, jazz it. is so much more feel, yeah. Than yeah, classical is very technical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the jazz I can feel when the note's meant to play because the rhythm gets me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's been that's been cool. Yeah, I, I came up my background as a guitar player, which mm-hmm. it, it it served me across multiple styles. And now, like, if you put me in a band and you ask me to play a specific style, I can just, you know, oh yeah, sure, I can play that style. And yeah. what's funny is I was I was watching a music channel. This is a music podcast today, boys and girls. Uh, yeah. Is is uh, this guy who teaches music theory? He says all the best, best, best session players, best studio musicians, the best music players in the world, all started out with jazz mm-hmm. because it's such a strong discipline. Anyway, so you're an actor now. You're pursuing that um, stage, film, TV. Um, film and TV at the okay. present, but really a lot of it is at the moment is cultivating the art and also simultaneously understanding the business. Oh, yeah. It's well, like getting that. exposure for, um, getting exposure just in, you know, on set and in films and television and stuff, um, in like minor roles, obviously, just so I get the, but for me, that's more of like, right, let's get the experience and the exposure to understand what it's like being on set and yes. doing it in front of many people and i kind of threw myself in the hot sand aggressively like just i don't really know any other way so i like threw myself into stand-up classes and, and all these sorts of things to put myself in positions like that before i even get myself into positions like that um and yeah and then i just i i've been studying it for long enough i had a lot of opportunities just from people that i know that are producers and executive producers and whatnot through serendipity around the globe one thing led to another and i just found myself in bulgaria and looking at being involved in some, some films in Europe 
It's funny when my wife worked for a producer, um, she worked for a film producer and she was, he was constantly going to Bulgaria because there's so much film that people like boys and girls, Bulgaria, it's like, like a hotbed of filming. Yeah. Action and action and war. Cause yeah. it's like, you can get all the European looking, um, extras and it probably costs like one fifth the cost. And I think there's like a 40% government rebate. Yeah, to incentivize on the entire production to incentivize. Very so it's just the 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 budget alone goes so much further. So yes. that's and I'm pretty sure the safety guidelines might be a little bit different to the United <laughs> States as well. So you know, just logically, I'm Maybe like, okay. yeah. I mean, probably- they filmed the sequel to Blade Runner somewhere over there for I, I want to say Romania yeah. uh, for budgetary and and a local crew member was killed when the scaffolding collapsed on him. So the the safety laws are not quite the same. Yeah, not as um, OSHA. Who's yeah. that? <laughs> the ocean yeah. is that way. What? <laughs> so, yeah. so let's just start with where we start. Everybody, um, yeah, we've got a long, we've got a long trek through your story. How did yeah. you end up in the military? All right. So, um, do want to blitz through this one a little bit because yeah, because if if it gets if it gets long, we want to get to the stories. So feel free to, yeah. to give us whatever Reader's Digest yeah. shortened, you know, Nick's yeah. journey for dummies. I don't care. Okay. So um, I grew up, I, I was born in Sydney. Parents divorced when I was about four or five. Um, I had two very good sets of grandparents. So I came from pretty good, like, center of gravity families, right? Didn't have the traditional... I guess, you know, potential family issues at that point and dynamics. Um, and then I, you know, went to another city to do the rest of my, from 10 years old onwards, to do the rest of, you know, my schooling. And then I, with my mother and my father, moved to another city. So now we're in two very different cities. Um, and then I I did my schooling until I was 17. Uh, whilst I was leading up to that, I there was a lot of problems at home with the, the stepfather uh, which served me and both didn't serve me. Um, mm. You know, like, I think there's something pretty interesting about everyone that I notice that's in the combat corps. And as I've gone through a lot of um, self-development and self-understanding work in many different angles, that there's, there's there comes from a, a, generally a past of not being safe when someone's duty was to keep you safe or right. feel safe. But, right. And that emboldens us to go not only crush bullies but more like crush that that fear inside of us that there's anyone more uh fearsome than us and we're completely capable to not only protect the vulnerable but the vulnerable in us inclusive yeah so the it's not it's not going to happen to me or anybody else ever again and i will yes. yeah yep and so help me god mm-hmm. and like and and that's why I still think, you know, in many ways, the special operations guys that I came across were like pretty extreme versions of that. And I, I'd be, I reckon it would be maybe hard to find, although we'd never talked about it because we don't really talk about anything emotional in any capacity. Um, there wasn't a place for it during service, to be honest, and probably not even sure there should be because you're kind of mission orientated, um, mm-hmm. a certain mindset to be there. But mm-hmm. I, I would dare say that most of them have almost entirely had a youth of, some sort of physical, uh, emotional, or sexual abuse, or something like that, right? And uh, and so anyway, um, that would embolden someone to go make themselves impossibly hard to kill, go that extra mile, right? <laughs> yeah. So I I went in seventeen, um, seventeen and ten days just to get out of the home. I was a pretty good example of, I guess, emotional abuse per se, from just relentless bullying by the stepfather unopposed, um. Mm. I thought that was normal, but apparently it's 17 and 10, day, 10 days old. There's a pretty damn good reason to leave. So I left. I joined the Navy because when I was young, I loved films, war films, war history, history itself, kind of almost like geopolitics um, and war films, right? Sure. Uh, and I, people thought that I was going to go to a whole bunch of performance art schools and be an actor. And then I just went, no, I'm actually joining the military because I kind of wanted to be the soldier rather than pretend to be the soldier or Right, um, but in order to go into the military, I knew what I wanted. I um, but I I knew what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. However, my mother 
um, coming from our family background, would not sign me unless it had something of educational aspect to it. Yeah. So I found myself in the Navy as doing electrical technician, studying electrical engineering, electronics technician, I should say. And then I, a couple of years later, I found myself on a ship at sea um, after working in engineering faculties and, and um, working on ships alongside in port, on, whether it be radar, sonar, communications, weapons, complex um, electronic components or whatever. And the whole time I did this, when I left, um, from the day I left, basically the recruit training, I started training intensely basically every single day. I might have had one day, slow day a week or a day off um, for uh, like the special forces or more particular the SAS. I knew what I wanted from a very young age. And I, uh, I, I went all in on the training, like over the top probably. Um, but at 19, I did the SF entry test, the special forces entry test. And I passed with flying colors because I was in the Navy. No one taught me how to use anything. I had the wrong size boots. So every time I, <laughs> every, no shit, every time I ran, I would have blood. Like I do a 20 kilometer oh, or six miles. And I do that and I'd, um, I'd fill my boots full of blood because I do that with 50 kilograms or like 110 or 120 pounds or whatever it is. Right. I have no idea what the hell I was doing. Right. But I, but I do it. So when I turned up to the test, I didn't know what I was doing, but I did it hard. It's good. Training. Yeah, I did it hard. Like I just, yeah. I literally got given a whole bunch of equipment and randomly put it together. Yeah. I just had no idea how it even went together. I just eventually learned that, oh, this is kind of what I think it's meant to, to do here. Like, like some sure. Lego deals from my childhood. And uh, those in your boot when you run, it'll toughen you up. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I was I used to just like soak my feet in metho and whatnot right. just to harden them up. It's still tear them apart again. Um, and I did all that and I, Pass this test with such flying colors that they're like, okay, let's pull this guy across to the army and see what oh, we can shit. do. Pull me across. And at this stage, I was grossly overtraining, still trying to overcompensate for the fact that I didn't really know what I was doing in the army in capacity. You know, went through, started going through the infantry stuff and I got a hernia, like basically the day one before I even started. Yeah. Size oh, of, no shit. Yeah, size of a golf ball. So I pushed through that and wore a jock strap and jammed whatever organ was protruding. As agonizing as it was on on every sort of pack march and little just intense scenario that was that was that was a fucking journey, and uh, and then I I got across and they're like right we lined you up to go straight into the special forces our commandos um, training and selection program I went well supposed to be some more tr- training in there for me but since I just underwent surgery for hernia i kind of missed out on a whole bunch of stuff to then prep me for this they're like don't worry about it you'll be fine i'm like i'm not so sure <laughs> famous <laughs> yeah got about yeah. two days before the end of it and it was aware it was aware like probably seven days in that I, my body hadn't physiologically recovered from it like the mm-hmm. fatigue right the surgery yeah learn to do everything again and um but but i still got almost 30 or 40 days or whatever it was for the whole thing I got about two days to the end of it and they're like brought me and they're like you don't have enough experience to be here so we're you're gone so then they, I took that hit to the ego and they sent me to a, another infantry unit um, or to an infantry unit because I hadn't been to one yet. And I just, you know, had some enthusiasm and time in the Navy. Wait, wait, back up. What yep. did you say about being 21? Um, this stage, I'm still, I think I'm still 20. Right. But what does that affect? How does that affect your military service? Um. Which uh, which part? Sorry, the like getting non- getting uh, booted out of SAS and then sent right. to an infantry, right? So uh, you're, battalion you're to infantry. No, so, that are there age that requirements? That wasn't the SAS. Uh, yes, that, that was SF, was, right? That was SF. That was Bro, just the, what, what are the? Is there an age requirement? Nineteen. So yeah, nineteen was the age requirement. You had to be above. Um, but I found my. To, to actually attempt it. But at this stage, I'd done pretty much all of this up until the age of, um, I think I just kind of turned 20, maybe, maybe not even yet. I might've still been Oh, I see what you're saying. So you were so, you were so young. That's why they were like, yeah, you're, you're young. You still need some seasoning. Yeah. They, to be honest, it would have been fair. I'm just saying, no, you just don't, you don't know enough of what you're doing compared to the other guys that might've been in the infantry for like 10 years. Or right. Right. Cause like, you were in the Navy. Yeah, I'm like, that's a pretty fair assessment. Right, sure. <laughs> so 
So I'm like, yeah, I could like could have agreed with you, but there, but like by the end of it, I'd actually learnt enough to be kind of fine there. But it was just, you know, it was what it was. So bit, and I uh, took it on the chin and went to an infantry unit, kind of just punched through the ranks and experience and courses there, just because of I was orientated, right? Like I knew what I was there to do and to learn. But then I found myself in doing in recon teams, found myself leading teams and found myself leading recon teams within a year there and did, uh, and just went, well, fuck it. Let's go. Went for selection. And I was 21 at the time. And, uh, unlike the last one where I didn't get enough time to really recover, I injured myself about eight weeks before selection. Best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me, I injured my lower back to such a degree. I couldn't do any lower upper body, anything. But it forced me for the first time since I joined to rest. So I learned how to nap and I learned how to do get proper remedial massages, right? Physio and Cairo and and just focus on taking care of myself and my body um physiologically. And it was just that worked. I couldn't I probably wouldn't even have stood a chance if I hadn't had that injury. Right. So that was a layout from God right there. And uh and then I turned up and the day I turned up, I'm like, well, let's see if my body can hold a pack on the first day of selection. And mm-hmm. I lifted it the ground and put it on. And I'm like, well, so far, so good. Right. And then I went to selection and that was a um that was one for the ages. Gotta say they really know how to wean through everyone. Yeah, they've got it down to a science. Yeah, just short of killing you. Mm-hmm. And then ours, unlike the other ones, they decided to throw um the 96 hours resistance to interrogation at the very end. Mm. And Ooh. that, that was a brutal one because that's like seer school. Yeah. I was going to say, I wonder if that's like seer school. Yeah. 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 We, ours is the longest. I think that it's in the, at least in the first world. Right. So, um, ours is like 96 hours. I think the next longest one is like 72. Um, and it was something else. Uh, it's now under investigation by the Commonwealth government for torture. They probably went over the lines there, and that's public. They're talking about that in a huge royal commission. So that's that's <laughs> a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no shit, it was pretty wild. But the problem yeah. was from ours, unlike others, they went straight into it from selection. So the last five days of as a selection are no sleep and no food. Actually, no. Sorry, last six days was no sleep for sure. One of the days there, on like the second last day, they'll bring food there to see your resilience to like eat, but the food is um undercooked maggot ridden brains. So they what let the maggot f- go Dude, this is legit. Wow. This is like a go- saw movie. Yeah, yeah. They let maggots <laughs> the brains. So you 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 then and then they served it in this cold green like dew from all the shit that come out of the brains, but not cooked enough. They actually no one even bothered to investigate what the level of cooking was required to not just kill the maggots, but actually kill them. stop it from getting sick. Yeah. So we had this and we had to show face of eating brains and maggots and I'm just scooping handfuls of maggots. I hadn't eaten for several days. And if you know anything about those last five days, it's not only is it no sleep, literally, but it's they work you to death, like two major six-hour impossible sessions a day, right. 12 hours a day of that. And then they keep you up all night fucking with you in a mock village, like getting harassed by the chief's daughter or, or like getting accused by the chief or like getting involved within politics and just really messing with your brain yeah. with your knife and just, you know, all this shit. And then like three hours later, they'll be like, actually, no, we wanted the swimming pool over there. Or they so fill this one in and build a swimming pool over there and building chicken coops for chickens. that will never come just nonsense like this. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's something yes. but at the end of that. You sp- at the end of that six days, you're broken. You've lost like 15 kilograms. So that's what, like 30, I don't know, 35, whatever, or something like that, 30 um, pounds. And and you, you're pretty busted. And then they threw us into 96 hours of this interrogation, which is another four days without sleep, same song, blindfolded. And can't even, if you don't even have the body strength anymore to hold yourself, hold yourself up. Um, so, you, you, you're you're a bit of a mess, right? And they realize that they're like, yeah, we kind of learned that you can't take get information out of people who are too 
fuck to give it <laughs> like so like because everyone was hallucinating and shit in their pants and stuff it was pretty bad <laughs> oh my gosh yeah and even then for weeks afterwards so wow by the grace of god i not only finished but i got selected because imagine going through all this shit and not getting selected oh, <laughs> so, like, whatever oh, i'm done, done. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah whatever military couple, career over <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever couple of hundred um guys started uh, 300 or whatever or something like that three or six maybe maybe more got it down to about like i think less than 20 guys through and selected I think, yeah i think a few over 20 that actually got finished but then they culled it down to about less than 20 um yeah it's a went- tier one i mean people if there may That's be Americans, if you don't know what fucking sas is and that, yeah it's it's their cream of the crop tier one like tip yeah. of the spear so it was um definitely no half cocking it no. or anything after to be right. honest right um and i was 21 so i was like four years younger than the next guy and even he was considered young so i was pretty i was pretty uh pretty junior for it but um you know, I the home the resilience built at home it taught me to be resilient. So I'd be nothing short of resilient. That's all I'd known, and that helped. Yeah, sometimes you know? the shit you're through in your childhood steals you mentally for anything, literally anything that a, a job or the military or you know criminals in law enforcement doesn't, doesn't matter what they throw at you. You're like, bitch, I've lived with the worst step parent imaginable. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> Yeah, shit, shit like that, right? So you're right. like, because of shit like that, you just, you know, I, I look, I actually took me years to look at it even as, it took me a long fucking time post-military career and a lot of counselling work to even acknowledge that it was even a, a thing because I treat it as a superpower. I'm like, I'm right. like, yeah, it was shitty, but I'm like, man, did I get resilient? I couldn't have done this without it. And then as you get older, you're like, should I have done that? <laughs> you're like, I was awfully close to dead a lot. So now it's like, I don't know how many times that'll keep flipping in my life where I'm like, this is great. This is a double-edged sword. So I um, I get in and then you're like, cool. Well, you're in. You're no different to anyone else here from your selection. So let's, you know, you still got to finish your 18 months training. Um, And it was intense to say the least. It was pretty, pretty, pretty wildly intense. I... I then, and then to keep it kind of synoptic, I kind of, uh, I finished that. Um, and then I went to the squadron and it's, you know, we're constantly working like the work's no half cock, just like the training, like you're really well prepared because you just, right. you go. I found myself in there. I found myself in several Asian countries immediately thereafter. I found myself nice. in counterterrorism stuff for the queen coming to Australia. And I found myself dissolved within like two months or something and then i found myself in uh in afghanistan um for the first trip and that was the first time i was actually able to like kind of almost slow down even though that was not slow it was like cool we're staying in almost one place for for like (laughs) one country for like a few months sounds good to me going on vacation yeah and uh and at this point it's probably worth noticing through this whole journey i I haven't slowed down in the amount that i train oh wow not at all. I'm, I'm like, I would do the morning session with all the guys. I might run around through the house and stuff all day, shooting and blowing shit up and just really high level mental activity as well as physical. And then, so the morning was, was like a, you know, huge running session, like running sand dunes, what and body armor and whatever with the team. And then afterwards I'd go to the gym in the afternoon. Then I'd leave the gym and I'd go do like an hour of boxing. And then I'd do like maybe an hour of kickboxing on the back of that. Um, wow. So like three to four sessions. And when I was, training for selection, but sorry, before doing selection, when I was in infantry battalion, I was actually training five to seven times a day. So what, was, what do you think was compelling you? Was it, do you, do you think it was that childhood trauma we talked about? Do you think that I, really made you neurotic about it? I, I actually think because it was like, you know, you do things, you get success in the, in the, in some sort of service. And then that just mm-hmm. makes you go, okay, more of that. You became a dip. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly you, what you're talking yeah, about, dude. Because yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I've you, done it. Yeah, yeah every, everyone has. And it's like, all right, so the more, so I get it. So the more internal emotions, the more I numb out, the better I am at my job. Fuck, got it. Mm-hmm. I'll do more of that. And then it's like, physically, it's like, okay. So 
as long as I overtrain, I can compensate for the shortfalls by being fitter than everyone else, which gives me more clarity to be able to perform better at the things that I wasn't prepared for that got thrown at me on selection or whatever. Right. So I'm like, okay, I just be, or, or more mentally resilient. So therefore from just overly training into the hard times. So when mental resilience gets really tested, I'm sharper than everyone else so I can perform better. Right. And that's kind of what happened on selection. You know, in many ways, I, I just like whenever I got thrown in a leadership role, cause they do it. Yeah, guys wanted to respond to it. A 21-year-old telling them what to do, but also seeing if the 21-year-old would lead and was capable of leading in the high-stress environments with no food. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, constantly, I, I even my assessment myself there was like, yeah, I, I did, did fine, good. So it's like I think that that is why I was I was training a lot, and it just was kind of like right. The more I train, it's almost a sure thing to be successful, and I have no problem with overtraining. Um, clearly, <laughs> clearly. Well, that catches just up. Just don't <laughs> I go to Afghan for four months, which is the limit of our our deployments for like kill capture missions because it's so intense. Like it's constant. It's around night. Now, during this period, they tried to put a limitation on night raids in the country. So our unit was like, well, fuck that. We'll hunt these guys by day, which is kind of <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, we, so we hunted day and night. We wow. didn't give up fuck so there wasn't really a, a rest orientation for this you know we had helos and assets and everything dedicated to us to do our job so that you know there wasn't rest per se for those four months so we just kept you're always ready to go and uh so i came back and instead of getting some rest which i still wasn't even sure what that was yet right um i I went straight back and went straight into a JTAC course because I knew if I did that, I strategically positioned myself to make sure I went into a team to redeploy to Afghanistan for another round. And right. uh, yeah, so that was great. Yeah, you weren't running from anything. No, no, no I was for sure pursuing as much war. I didn't even want to come home for the first trip. Right. I'm like, I had no gauge for for fatigue. So I'm like, I don't want to come home. Just leave me here. I'll just keep You weren't done. But you know what? I think you were also experiencing a sense of fulfillment and purpose and peacefulness and pride. And you were experiencing all these things probably for the first real time, like real, not like, like, you know, your parents say, Oh, I'm proud of you. And you're like, yeah, fuck you. You're my parent. You're supposed to say that. And sometimes even when they are your parent, you're like, nah, I know you're full of shit. You're not proud of me. You don't act like it. You know, your entire life you spend trying to make yourself useful and, purposeful and your life have meaning and you you do some and now all of a sudden you're getting it yep and most people will never have that so it becomes a double-edged sword later on in life right where people are like hey, i'm trying to find my purpose and it's like unless you've had it before it makes it really hard to identify when you're on that purpose and it also makes you damn well sure when you're not on it so you can beat yourself up really easy uh-huh. so one of the things when veterans leave the military for physical mental health or whatever it might be there's a big problem that they get where they're like, they almost got given this mission. And as long as they stayed in there, the mission was given to them, their purpose and fulfillment mm-hmm. and their identity around yeah. that. And then in like one day, it's almost stripped from them, which is why it's so fucking hard yes. for them to leave. Like imagine just not having this purpose anymore. So yeah, when we that- don't have purpose, we fall apart. Correct. And identity. Yeah. Like we lose purpose and identity, right? Cause you don't have the and uniform they- anymore. You don't have the salutes anymore. You don't have the the camaraderie anymore. You don't. Yep. You, and 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 make no mistake. Like you're gonna have people that you're lifelong friends with out of your service in the military or your service in police work or in the fire service or whatever. But not as many as you think. And when you're out, you're out. Yep. You're you're in the war band, right? You're in the fucking war band of the war party, right? And as a masculine energy, it's like what you provide to this world. And as soon as that happens, it's like. I like people are telling you to go fuck yourself, but it's kind of like, well, no, you're just we, left behind. We need we gotta, someone we to cover. To yeah, we need someone to cover my back, and yep. I need some. And like, and it's like that's just the game, and I'm like unapologetic, right? And I can get yep. to that how some of this. So I, I come back and I went immediately into JTAC course, which is coordinating uh, air traffic on the battlefield, right? Okay. And unlike others sitting on top of a perfect hill next to a, a, like some sort of battalion commander or whatever. 
it was kind of like one or maybe two of us per team. And then we expected to do it kind of under fire in extremely high stress environments. Right. Um, like one of the guys like, fuck man, he's got a horror story. He, he was pinned down behind a fucking wall getting shot at by two machine guns that were just blowing away the whole fucking wall. And um, there wasn't much left of it. Right. So he gets the, he calls in the Apaches and this is why it's handy. Cause he's the guy behind the wall and he's like, well, fuck 50 right. meters away. 50 yards, I know where these Apaches are. And they were just um, destroying this wall around him with nowhere to run. And uh, so he caught, he throws a smoke grenade and he gave cardinal direction from the smoke grenade of where the enemy were to help talk the Apaches on. The smoke plume drifted as with the wind as he talked them on. So when the Apaches had come in, what they'd identified as the enemy, the plume had drifted over the top of them. So the figures on the ground became them. Oh. And then getting oh, shit. 30 millimeter explosive fucking rounds. And he goes, the most terrifying moment of my entire fucking life is when you have 30 millimeter rounds landing on Ooh. you by helicopters that are exploding. Um, and they're your buddies. Wow. Yeah, and they're your guys. So as soon as they realize that they shit canned it, right? Obviously, they're like, yeah, fucking stop. And there's no right. nothing friendly about friendly fire. No. And it was like, you know, he was a JTAC. So he was the one calling it and also wearing the hurt. So both of you got the enemy and Apache shooting at you at this fucking moment in a war oh, that now doesn't really exist anymore. Wow. Um, yeah, they did, he did end up um, killing those guys and everyone everyone lived. Good. No I, was, I was hoping we'd get the end of that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And this is the, this man, this Thank guy. Same guy that was also on top, found himself on top of a roof, dancing on it as someone was shooting through the roof underneath him. Um, fucking <laughs> totally like, normal. Madman, dude. So, totally normal is, response. Yeah. It's like Tuesdays, right? Right. Um, so the JTEC stuff is pretty intense. Um, coordination of aircraft on the battlefield from either a very small tactical level to a grand and like kind of almost big fucking mission orientation. So there's a lot of responsibility all of a sudden, but it puts you in a really good stead to get redeployed to Afghanistan really fucking quick in whatever team. So I knew that. So I came back and instead of the rest that I needed, and at this point I was starting to feel it. I then went back to this course. I did some pre-deployment training immediately with the team. And then I, I had like two weeks off, which I hadn't decompressed from the first trip, by the way. Like the first trip was pretty intense, killed my first guy on day four, and then the rest of the fucking trip kind of felt followed suit a little bit, right? So it was pretty fucking intense, um, intense work heavy. Wow. And confronting because I was 21. I just kind of gone into this, right? Uh, well, you 20, talk about coming back and decompressing. It doesn't sound like you knew how to do that. I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. But I went I went to the States and I just drank. Yeah. So, there you go. <laughs> I, I drank. And I got to go on a like now with things I know and that might not have been the answer, but at the time it was <laughs> it was it was a fish. fucking right answer. There's fucking triage medicines and I guess alcohol was one of them for mm -hmm. you yeah. know, certain periods, right? Alcohol's probably just as good as a triage medicine, I think, is is antidepressants, like good for a week or two or a month. Mm -hmm. But after that it's fucking dog shit. Like it's you know, you get it out of your system. Um so then I, I took that time and I went back and then I went to Afghan again for fighting season and that was even busier. The Afghans literally call it fighting season because it's the time that they kind of dedicate that year for, for fighting, like kind of like NFL season, right? Like nice and warm weather. Yeah, yeah, warm weather, really great for the really good time. <laughs> this, is, this is beautiful <laughs> fighting season. We've got yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, I did that, and that trip was even busier in a, in a way, right? Like it was just a bit of a, more of a slog. And but but great, like I felt on top of that mission orientation right there, it was the most powerful I'd ever felt to mission orientation. We hadn't had an inkling of you know when the deployments were going to stop, when Afghan was going to stop, but we knew we were fucking really good at killing Taliban leadership, and they were fucking terrified of taking command just in case they inherit the consequences of their action of us turning up on the doorsteps. And we were really good at it, and all their buddies that would like hang out with them. Uh, their their guard or their soldiers or whatever. I mean, like my squadron was pretty reputable. It turned up on the year before I joined it, and the Taliban tried to dig in and put it up on a really opposing front. And they obviously got training from military, right? Like from the Iranians or or Pakis or whoever, probably Iranians, right? 
um, and maybe trained in Pakistan, which is why it's kind of a bit of an overlap there. But and they tried to put up whole defensive positions, dug in and whatnot. And they, anyway, it was like 80 bodies were found at the end of it. Um, they 80 Taliban dead. Um, That's or something. It was a gnarly fucking day. One of the guys got a Victoria Cross for it and a few others probably should have as well. But it was, you know, and that they, they were dragging bodies away and like there was many parts that you just like, there's parts there, but we don't really know who they belong to. Because 80-ish? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it was like, well, they, they they were just the numbers they could count. Yeah. Um. So Taliban had a really good try at trying to hold their ground and stand and they got hosed. Um. So the fight that was during the fighting season the year before. So it's like, you know, it gets, it does get busy. Um, and, and, um, I came back from that and for the first time I'd never really taken any leave in my military career. Uh, so I took some leave to chill and just kind of had a pretty good time. Like just traveled around Latin America, fell in love with the whole idea of Latinas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Double-edged sword right there. Oh, yeah. crazy Latinas, man. Yeah, it's half the fun, huh? And uh, double-edged sword right there for sure. And uh, I, I traveled around all through Latin America and everywhere with my brother and two best mates for a bit. And, and then on New Year's, uh, New Year's I was in Rio at this Forche de Copacabana. It's like a like a fortress that they built on the edge of Copacabana. When the fire went off, fireworks went off. It was the first time that I'd ever gotten anxious. Like, what the fuck is this? Oh, right. He didn't want to be there um, in that moment. And it was, if you know anything, it's like three million people on the beach and it's a lot of fireworks. So, anyway. And then there's fine. an overwhelming sense of, I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. It was an anxious, like, I could go, which I'd never had before. Right. Uh, like, a just really great sense of discomfort um, in an environment that you'd be like, I don't know why I should be. I feel uncomfortable. Right. I should be totally happy, right. having fun. Yeah, I should. I should because be your guards are down, your defenses are down. You know, you're not in an active war zone, and you kind of just like relax. And the next thing you know, it's catching you off guard and by surprise. And your body does what it does, and it reacts. Yeah, you become yeah. vulnerable, and then you got. I hate the word, but you got triggered. Yeah, yeah. So it it did its thing. That was interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I'm like, all right, no worries. You know, just know that, but should be fine. Kept traveling. Nothing else came up. It was great. It was one of the greatest travel journeys of my life. And uh, and it was the first time I'd ever really taken leave um, that I'd stored up in, in, in a long time of being in the service. Now, how, so long, I, how long? Just curious. So, four, eight years at this point. Okay. And then how long did you take leave for? I took, we, I took like almost... Maybe like ten weeks, maybe nine weeks. Okay, well, that's right. a lot. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, still not resting, per se, without chasing yeah. latinas and and drinking <laughs> and hanging out every night. But it was definitely a decompression from his workout. It's a decompression from the military stuff for sure. Right. So then I went back, and I went straight into training with the team, and then on I now got a combat special operations combat assault dog. Uh-oh. And we train them because we don't presume that anyone can train them and bond with them the way we right. do. We right. So, Same thing with a police canine handler. Yep. Fucking intense. Mm-hmm. Whole bunch of work, like stupid amounts of work. And we, we train them to do um, IFF, for, identify a friend or foe, so they would run around and do their thing. What um, breed did you have? Belgian Malinois. Yeah, the Maligator. <laughs> yeah, my God like land sharks and they save so many lives overseas by the way they are brilliant dogs they're yep. incredibly brilliant dogs incredibly strong they're they're the superhero of dogs they can do things physically they're, they're fucking crazy if yep. you're not ready to deal with a dog that is smarter and tougher than you are and who demands you be just as smart and tough as he is don't yep. get one. yep and they'll, they'll also challenge you at some point there Fuck yeah they will into the alphas, mm-hmm. they're aware. If they, you start getting them to bite and tear people, and everyone's screaming all the time every time they bite, as a reward mechanism to encourage them. After a while, they're like, "Well, I've never lost a fight, so why are you telling me what to do? Why are you in charge?" Right. And then there, there'll be a few days where, like, and we used to have to handle and manage all the other dogs because who's gonna, who's gonna? You ever read the? There's a book called Legacy. It talks about the All Blacks and why they're such a great team. Well, it's like, you know, one of the things was at the end of an All Blacks rugby. Used this New Zealand football team, right? Sure. 
mm-hmm. they're but they're famous in the rugby um scene because they're like consistently probably the best team ever always like an impossible team to play and they don't have any star players but they believe in team cohesion to such a point and one of the things is you'll find the team captain immediately after a game's done and they've done the debrief in the sheds weeping because no one will care for the all blacks better than the all blacks will care for the all blacks right, you can't, right. can't extreme ownership can't pay some yep can't pay someone to do that so we would take care of the dogs, take care of their shit, take care of everything. But doing that, all the other stuff you expect to kind of do in your team and learning at the same time and all the other responsibilities, very draining, like immensely draining to the point of almost backbreakingly draining. Um, more fatigue, right? And so then I I finished that and go into pre-deployment training. Um, and then basically... Yeah, go to go to Afghanistan um, again. again. <laughs> as, 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 yeah, this time is like a JTAC um, dog handler, so like a dog. What I call it, like a dog tack. So it's like far <laughs> many responsibilities here. I was going to say, we, how many jobs are you going to have on one deployment? Yeah, it's get well. In the unit, we we're supposed to be like jack of all trades. You right. Know, we, we, in American units, they're a little bit more delegation, but we're like, no, we kind of want everyone to be able to do almost everything. But when it comes to some of these minor roles, it's major roles, I guess, but they're kind of like, well, not everyone can do them. It, it, you it's know, specializing. Yeah, so maybe half the team are going to be good at those ones. Right. Um, right. And fuck, I, uh, I really overdid it. So between that training, between all the missions and whatnot, um, between exercising in the gym where I could, I'd do two to three times a day if I was able to, and I wasn't out on a mission or whatever. And I'd, I'd even instead of sleeping, I'd do the gym session between missions or whatever. That so was like getting a, getting a little bit intense. And then I'd spend a lot of time doing all the managing all JTAC coordination of aircraft from the command center so that we knew that from our like um, kind of like operations room strategy center um, where we could see footage and things from, from um, monitoring the enemy positions that we're looking at targeting. Um, I would be work with aircraft there as well. So it was like all that, the dog training, training myself, team training. I was also the team comm, primary team's comms guy because I was already talking aircraft. I may as well do that as well. Right. Oh, um, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, it started to get probably a lot. Also, I taught, started to teach myself how to read and write Spanish while I was there those four months. So it was a, it was a lot, right? Um, probably a bit too much. And then at the end of it, that that journey, um, it was kind of the writing was on the wall that Afghan was like, all right, it's getting downgraded pretty significantly, and we're looking at moving on from here. All right, well, our unit will always have work, so whatever. Um, but you could also see at this point that no one was. It was obvious from a political level, no one gave a fuck about how this fell apart. Right. Like we're actively watching on with footage, like drone footage or whatever, um, towns being taken back by the Taliban, killing the police. Like the same guys that within a year ago, we were flying out there and just fucking hosing the Taliban and then having the police like celebrate us for, for right. fucking removing the Taliban pest or saving them, you know, and and we did a lot of missions with them, with the police um, in our provinces, a lot, like very loyal to them and, and to the Afghanis and whatnot. And it's just really starting to become a bit of a political spit in the face because if we wanted to go help them, it was like, no, there's no mission criteria for that unless you can tell me there's a Taliban commander there on the ground. As opposed to before, it would have been like, fuck no, let's go. Let's stir something up and wait for a Taliban commander to pipe up on the radio and then we'll go kill him too. Um. So anyway, it got, um, there was a bit of a, from that day, it was kind of like, oh, well, politically, no one's going to give a fuck. Um, they were tired of it. Yeah, they, 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 they lost they, interest. Yeah, they'd lost interest in in many regards. So we just, you know, it wasn't Australia. It was probably Australia. Yeah, Australia just follow America, to be honest. We're there in support of America, just like Vietnam and so on and so on. Um, and And that's part of our, part of it, the allegiance, right? Which is fair, 100% fair to how, how these things work, right? 
Um, and I finish this and I go back. And at this point, at the end of this, I'm like, all right, I'm actually pretty tired to the core now, like a fatigue that I can't explain. So I did that. And uh, I went back and I, I'm like, right. And then they just go, oh, no, wait, when you get back, by the way, you've got to go into like a month of counterterrorism training to take over some counter or anti-terrorism responsibilities really quick. Because another unit that's been doing it, squadron, is required for something else. I'm like, fuck, all right. We come back, we take over that. And it was aware we were all pretty beat, but I was definitely aware that I was a little bit more beat than usual. So I then proceeded to go to um, do all this just dragging my energy. And it was like, at this point, I'm like, all right, guys, I'm going to take whatever leave I've got left kind of somewhere early this year because I'm starting to be very aware that there's something not quite right with me. Right. Uh, I then proceed to, um, yeah, I then proceed to uh, fucking get to the end of this training. I remember one night, I put the dog away, which means I'm working an extra hour at least before everyone else has an extra hour or whatever there before them. And we're already getting only a couple of hours a night. So I'm like, it's just compounding the exhaustion. I put the dog away. I started walking the car and it was like 80 meters into it. And I probably got another 80 meters or 80 yards, right? Yards about a meter. Um, and then I just started like, I literally started breaking down crying, walking to this car. And I'm like, I had, and I'm like, there's nothing emotionally per se wrong with me. I'm just like, it was from exhaustion. It was like, I'm fucking that exhausted right. and shattered. I'm like, I'm fucking just, yeah. And then, you know what? I've seen it in other US units. I caught up with some mates from CAG or Delta when I passed through you know, two, three years ago or something like that. And I was out and I'd seen it in their eyes when I saw them as well. They were like almost just they're like, I don't even want a beer. I just want to be left the fuck alone for a moment. Burn they were like they were, they were burnt out. They knew they were burnt out. It was yeah. like, oh, let's send the best to do it because the best will make us look good. Like, well, the best can't, these guys can't be used for fucking everything. They're, you're running out of, of, you're running out of rope here. Um, so the, it, it was becoming pretty consistent across um, units, right? Uh, internationally. It was the standard maneuver of all politicians to look good where they could or generals Sure. at the backs of these other guys, which they now actually have a syndrome for operators um, when they leave these units called operator syndrome of what you will guaranteed have. Like, it's not even like, it's like, yep, you will for sure have all these these issues and you can Google that, the operator syndrome, they call it. Um, including things like TBI and just, you know, all the mental health and a whole bunch of things like that, even at whatever threshold that is. Um, hey, let's see here real quick. Uh, uh, Operator syndrome may be understood as the natural consequences of an extraordinarily high allostatic load, the accumulation of physiological, neural, and neuroendocrine responses resulting from prolonged chronic stress and physical demands of a career within the military special forces. Health issues from operator syndrome include functional impairments, endocrine dysfunction, sleep disturbance, obstructive sleep apnea, chronic pain, chronic headaches, orthopedic problems, headaches, substance abuse, depression, and suicide, as well as marital and family dysfunction problems with sexual health and intimacy. How many law enforcement and military guys have you seen with all or most of those? Yeah, it's pretty much everyone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's if you if it's like, I'd say it's a pretty combat core thing in the military and law enforcement. It'd be basically anyone that goes outside the office, the criminals yeah. who go outside the wire, right? In many regards, it's like if you're stepping out into duty, there you go, right? It's and that the worst thing is that that's not even like all the other shit. That's like, oh no, this is what you're kind of going to guaranteed have. So this is a base level, and then you have got stuff on top of that, right? Um, so I started there and I went to a doctor after that. He was like, oh, you've got something called chronic fatigue. And I'm like, okay, what do I do about chronic fatigue? He's like, rest. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to take some time off pretty soon. So I guess I get some time to rest. There's no other instruction. Okay. Um, thanks specialist chronic fatigue. I already knew I was pretty tired. This is fancy. You you Um, tired a lot. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Okay. Shit, thanks. Doc. Yeah. So I um I I proceed to do this and um I I then have this leave orchestrated and I so uh, firstly after I've seen this doctor and I've I've done this training that has exhausted me to find this walking to the car and then I take some time over Christmas travel off and just take it slower this time right you know and I just two weeks I was just so goddamn beat I couldn't just I couldn't do enough sleeping. And it, and it was also like, it didn't matter how much I slept. I wasn't getting better, which was weird. I wasn't getting more well-rested or feeling more well-rested, like I could catch up. It was like I was chasing my tail, like a hamster in a wheel and a little bit, but only things were speeding up and I wasn't keeping up with the speed. So anyway, I'm like, okay, cool. I've got this leave coming up. I took this board of leave and I took long service, which in Australia, you can you get three months if you serve 10 years. You get three months long service leave. And that you don't you don't get a pension you you get that's kind of like the compensation for that, right? Hmm. So I took three months, six months at half pay, and I went and traveled a little bit, and then sat myself in Florida by the beach and just hung out by the beach, playing, met some people, and played uh, volleyball and stuff on the beach, and had a really great time. It was just just distance myself from anyone military, anything military, and just got some breakup. But whilst I was there, I started noticing. Um, things in me that were not there before. Uh, the anxiety started getting intense to the point where I would occasionally be just find myself rocking in bed and not being able to be in a bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually couldn't go to a cinema anymore. Um, I couldn't sit in a cinema. I just couldn't be, sit there mm-hmm. and be still. Right. Sitting there in the dark, surrounded by people for two hours, not able to move is torture. Yeah, it was, it was something. It was and then it developed into um I then met a girl. Um oh, became, that's a good good idea. Good time to do that. I know Latina too. God <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, all right. Supposed to be resting oh, when I get challenge. It was like the next level of selection. Now my favorite part was um worth noting to this point I'd never had a relationship and deliberately because I was so focused on my career, I didn't have time or didn't want to have time for it. I didn't yeah. want anything to sabotage my ability to do that. Right. And because of the childhood exposure, I was really good at not having a relationship. Right. Nothing so, had been mo- not, no healthy relationships had been modeled for you. No, it was right. only so, unhealthy relationships. And so you're like, well, if that's a relationship, I'm good. I'll just yeah. kill people a lot. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Kind of nail it too, by the way. So I... um. Yeah, I proceed to start having uh, like emotions with this girl that I hadn't had before, and that kind of started a floodgate for some other shit. Um, that I uh-oh. and that was that was super interesting. I didn't have a grip on how to. I, I'd always wondered how the guys went home to their families and did all that shit, as well as whatever else I was doing. Um, Little did so, you know, it's actually healthier. I actually think so. By the way, yeah. oh, hundred yeah. percent. It's definitely healthier. Like it's. You you know that masculine energy can go home and like like back in the the old cave theory where he go go out from hunting or war partying um, to protect the village, go back to the cave, mm-hmm. and then there's nurturing feminine energy there and yeah. support yeah. in the kid, and that's empowering to a man very much so. And God bless to that right. And didn't know that. Um, I've so I've got her over there and started um, getting pretty intimate connected with her um, and did so for like the next year and a year, year and a half. And that's when the anxiety started being a bit more controllable through meditation. But that's when the kind of depression stuff started really coming to the surface. Um, And that was, that was an interesting journey. Well, that's, Um, that's probably we're, we're at, we're at part one right there. It's easy to do this. And when you get rolling, so I think that's probably a good place for us to say, uh, we're going to take a break and be back next week for part two. If, if that's okay with you, Nick. Oh yeah, man, you're running the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think, uh, man, it's super interesting because the world's a big place. 25,000 miles in circumference. Seven billion people, soon to be eight, I'm sure, 
standing on it all at once. They say if everybody on China in China stood on a chair and jumped off, you could knock the earth off its axis. Um, it, it, you know, we've got a lot of people. And Chuck and I have interviewed a lot of cops, a lot of veterans, a lot of firefighters, a lot of first responders, people mm-hmm. at the tip of the spear. All this stuff is the same. It's it, it, the operator syndrome, post-traumatic stress disorder, all of these mm-hmm. kinds of things. As we go into it, it's, it's amazing how this is the first time we've met. We've never met. You're over there in Italy. I'm sitting here in North Idaho, Chuck's in LA. And yet, as you're describing all this stuff, I'm like, oh, yep. And Oh yeah, that's totally because of this. And you're like, yep, it's and just interesting how it never it, it never changes, and yet people want to deny that that this stuff happens. I like the correlation that you brought up at the beginning because I'm like, holy shit, I never even thought of that. The correlation from a broken home into service, especially in the higher tiers and things like that, I was like, damn, like I never put that together, you know. Um, like ever. And yeah. a lot of us, fuck, most of the people I know in the military, right, all had broken homes. Most of the people I know in law enforcement had broken homes. Well, that's because a, a lot of people from our generation had broken homes. Like, there's a generational aspect of it, too. There, you know, when you yeah. talk about uh, children of baby boomers or Gen X or even millennials to a certain extent, you know, it's just 60% divorce rate is means that you're going to run into a lot of a lot of people with broken homes. I actually find it interesting that you're going to get I, I see initially just three main broad categories of people that go into service, right? You've got the rare cases of the people that are just sick and they want to, you know, wield power and be bullies. And, you know, I I, I will say I know of a guy who uh, would talk about going and taking a leave of absence to go overseas taking a leave of absence from his career to go overseas just to get some notches on his gun belt kind of a thing. And it's like, no, dude, that's the, like, I get it, but that's, that shouldn't be the reason you can, you know? Um, so there's those kinds of people. And then there's the people that are like generational, right? Oh, my grandfather was in the military. His grandfather was in the military. My father was in the military. Dad was a cop. My grandfather was a cop. It's a family tradition of service. We're called to serve. That's just who we are as a family. But then you have this other group of like, you know, marginalized or bubble men and women who need the structure. They need the order. They need a guiding force in their life because it's been chaos and no validation. And it's what you're talking about, Nick. And so they go in and that is a huge melting pot of both, you know, like of all spectrums. A lot of people from all kinds of different backgrounds can suffer those kinds of upbringings with lacks of role models and lack of, you know, structure and growing up in homes of chaos. So I think that's a, that and the divorce rate and the fact that those are natural consequences when coming from a broken home, that's probably, I would venture to say that you could probably account for 80% of the military, if not 90% of the military and law enforcement, if you took those three categories. Yeah. 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 Like, I, and I, and we're just the ones who decided to rise above it. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, it could easily, yeah. a great cop and a great soldier has a mind of a crook or the mind of a terrorist, right? Going any other way. Yeah. You have to have a little larceny in you to be good at your, it, 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 I, that's, I know it's overused. That's why I like the sheepdog metaphor is because, a sheepdog possesses all those capabilities of a wolf, the teeth, you know, they, they, well, to be a good soldier, a good cop, you have to be able to understand the criminal mind. The difference is, as said in many, you know, comic books, well, at least you use your powers for good instead of evil. That's really what it is. You have, you've taken the skill set that you have and you have chosen to use those, those skills to help your fellow man instead of dominate them. And you'd be surprised, like someone pointed this out the other day. You're like, how many friends do you know from those services that you're like, could have 100% gone the other way? Oh, oh yeah, a lot. Or, or, or like, or, or even we're like a foot in the other way and we're like, fuck this. This is going to be a very terrible decision if I keep going down this path. Mm-hmm. Anybody that listens to Locker Room knows Matt and I have been best friends since we were 
14, 15 years old, but right around 20, <laughs> he went to prison and I went to the police academy and he, you know, he'd been in the Navy and then life got out of hand and he ended up in prison and I ended up in the police academy and we still maintained a friendship after he got out of prison and got off parole and everything. And, you know, here we are in our forties and the shit that happened 20 years ago with my police work in his prison. Those are anecdotes because like it, it had life gone differently. Matt would have been a, a great cop and yeah. he, you know, he had the mind for it. He had the interest to do it. He has, he could have been a seal. He could have, you know, he could have been any one of those things. It just, the cards dealt got played a certain way and that's it. You know how Medellin, Colombia solved um, a, lo a lot of its post-war or the end of its war um, crime problems? Um, uh, mandatory service? No. So they, they, they firstly, they had a pretty right-wing militia that went around killing criminals. So that's one thing. But, right. but, um, but they had a town that they just couldn't get rid of the crime. They just couldn't. You just couldn't go there if you were if you were police. Like after the eighties, and still in two thousand and ten, I think they had their last huge shootout where they're firing fifty cals across bloody in through buildings and in residential neighborhoods and across the whole town. It was just it was proper armored vehicles. They gave them something the youth had never had before, and it was opportunity. They created programs for them to find to choose a path of employment here, whatever the hell the government initiative was. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, it's like, well, if someone gives you an opportunity to go take or sell this drug for this amount, and then you look to the other hand and there's nothing in the other hand, you're like, well, I guess I'm going to go sell that drug. Right. But when they right. gave the opportunity to go sell this drug, or you can go have this carpenter job or whatever, or this delivery job or whatever, they do. yeah, I'll choose the delivery job because I've seen a lot of guys die, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, in many regards, it's just like, how's someone going to make their living? Or whatever. It's like, you know, and they're, they're like, well, I guess that's how I'm going to do it, huh? Yeah. Um, and it's as simple as that to decide the rest of that person's life. Yeah. Just like, yeah. well, um, I think, uh, we'll forego our usual, uh, send off because we're going to, we're going to get into our dedication at the end of part two because this is technically one long episode. But, uh, we will be back with you next week for part two. Thanks, Nick. We'll, uh, We'll get back with you, and uh, until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it. <laughs>